Hello and welcome to Rocket's Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom. I'm Simone de Rochefort, a senior video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm here as always with Brianna Wu, a Democratic candidate for Congress, and Christina Warren, senior cloud developer advocate. Still? Yes? Still, yes. Yeah. Well, technically, we dropped the cloud part. We're all now just, or the, the developer part. We're all now just cloud advocates rather than like putting people into buckets. But it oh. doesn't matter. I Don't. mean, I just think of you as the cloud advocate final boss. I mean, there I go. think that's accurate. Tell <laughs> <laughs> my boss is that. They'll, 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 they'll get a kick out of it. Okay. I will. Yeah, they're a sub boss, Christina. <laughs> I don't know who they are, but they're totally a sub boss. A sub boss. Yeah. It's getting so complicated. Well, we have some we have some good good stories to to chew through this week. Good short stories. So it's going to be a sweet but a, a tech heavy show. First, uh we're going to talk about some again. It, where's my fun Apple rumor klaxon? I I think I need some kind of klaxon or sound effect when we have a fun Break. Apple rumor. But Make we're going to talk about Make a sound. Yeah. <laughs> okay, did did that like test well? Yeah, I mean, we, I, I could hear that. I, the audience will be able to faintly hear um, the amazing uh, dulcet tones of one Frank Wu. Genuinely, Brie, you should have him record that so and we can like get a, okay, Frank, a soundboard come together. Here, come over here and let's oh, do no. it. Let's do it for real. Okay. Give the Apple warning klaxon sound, please, Frank. Apple warning! <laughs> so much worse. Incredible. So it's like it was... Like a man screaming and a baby crying at the same time. <laughs> and uh, there was like a bird kind of thing in there. That was oh, good. Definitely. There was some really? kind of tropical bird as well. Um, so we'll be talking <laughs> about that. And then after that, uh, we'll be chatting about the new Raspberry Pi Model B. And then we'll segue into our harrowing uh, tech industry work story of the week. Uh, a classic <laughs> rocket staple. <laughs> yes. What what terrible thing is is the world that we're all involved in doing now? And you know, even right before we started recording, I saw that there was another uh, like piece on the the Facebook Libra white paper, which I yeah. didn't have time to read. Even no, so, who cares? you know, save well, that for next week, baby. One 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 breaking news thing I do want to mention because even though I'm pretty sure it's fake, we do have to mention that our. She she came in second. She was not our patron saint of Rocket. That is, of course, Anna Delvey, who is doing a few years in jail. But but Tana Manju, who you know, Tanacon last year. I know. She she oh, she and Jake Paul are apparently engaged. Why? She could I mean, do so much better. She obviously could, but she also has an MTV show she needs to promote. Brie. I mean, ah, uh, okay. And nothing <laughs> is a bigger cluster muff than that. Nothing is bigger drama. Nothing is nothing is more YouTube or more 2019 than that. So you know what? I'm okay with I mean, it. I know yeah, she same. can do I, better, but also she can totally do better. But I'm cares? also like, I, I want the drama. I I I feel like hey, we wait, should. pause this. Yes, rumors are telling us that Apple wants to transition <laughs> to proprietary <laughs> ARM-based processors in 2020, oh, and those rumors segue. have been stoked. Uh, because they recently hired, according to LinkedIn, ARM's lead CPU and system architect, Mike Filippo, uh, who left, I believe, a month or so ago, who left ARM. And this, for Apple, would be a move away from their customary Intel processors, which previously, as we've talked about on the show many times, 
have been delayed occasionally, which pushed back Apple's planned releases, or have had vulnerabilities, for example. And this isn't to say that Apple's own proprietary ARM chips wouldn't have vulnerabilities, but what it would mean would they would have more control over their production schedule and whatever response they wanted to have to any problems that came up along the way. Yeah, it would also give them more end-to-end control over the the Macs the same way they do over the iPhone. Um, so yeah, so they hired this guy. He was at uh, ARM, um, he was at AMD, and then he was the lead system architect at ARM for a decade. And he, um, it, he also uh, was Intel's lead CPU system architect. So he, he has a really good history. He was responsible, he led development of the um, Cortex A76, the A72, um, and the, uh, the A57, as well as some of their upcoming chips. And um, uh, so that's an impressive pedigree. Um, before I get you guys, I, I ask you guys this take, sorry to kind of interrupt you, Simone, but I wanted to just point this out. I wonder, like, this is the devil's advocate thing. Like, I obviously think that this is all signs pointing towards we're getting our max, but the, the devil's advocate would be like, well, the guy that ran, like, was the head of, of, of the, the A processors, Gerard Williams, he left March 30th. So, mm. you know, maybe they're just hiring a new person, but I don't know. Well, what, yeah. would, what would our max mean for me as a consumer? Okay, so your ARM um, processors, those are what's in the iPad and the, and the iPhone. So presumably you would be talking about better battery life and, um, uh, you know, potentially um, uh, lighter and cooler uh, machines. Because, like, one of our criticisms of the iPad Pro, uh, which, you know, will hopefully be uh, mitigated a little bit with iPad OS, is that you have this amazingly powerful hardware and then, like, the software isn't able to really harness all of that's power. So if you presumably like you look at the MacBook, the, 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 the basic MacBook, the very expensive, but, you know, basic MacBook, it runs a cut down Intel uh, chip, an M CPU. And um, well, the reason it does that is because that machine doesn't have any fans. And so it has mm-hmm. certain like cooling constraints and, and then, you know, battery constraints too. And so it has to lower, run at a lower clock speed. Um, and the idea would be like, if you had like an iPad processor in something like that, maybe you would get both better battery life and better performance. Okay. I like that very much. That's yeah. attractive to me, especially because yeah, I... Cause think for the, yeah, I think for the Simone de Rochefort's of the world, I think this makes a lot of sense. Like Apple, if they did this, Final Cut would absolutely uh, eventually work on it. Premiere, like the Adobe Suite, would absolutely run on it. I think overall, for most consumers, this would be a huge win. Um, I think that for edge cases, it would be very, very detrimental. Yes. Uh, Apple has finally put out a very powerful Mac Pro. And I'm sorry, Apple, like, you're lucky ZBrush and Maya are even on the system to begin with. If you think they're going to go through and report that for ARM on top of right. that, I think that's a uh, I think that's a nice dream. But uh, unless they're willing to like go to those companies and like help them out with development and porting of it, uh, I just don't think it's realistic. Final Fantasy fourteen, the newest expansion, right. is about to come out for it. There's no way in like mm-hmm. I was amazed we're still getting Shadowbringers for Mac because it <laughs> sells so poorly. Uh, so you're gonna get fewer games. 
Um, so, well, you know, well, well, well yeah. you could, well, okay, fewer, but not right. Like I, I would actually push back on that. If anything, Please. I would say that you would be getting more games because, you know, okay. using, yeah. using Catalyst, you're going to be having all of your iPad games that are already okay. written for ARM now coming to Mac. And I would argue at this point, and I don't think this is a, uh, in any way a false or even that, that like, you know, like hot, t- hot of a take gaming on the iPad is significantly better than gaming on the Mac. Oh God, no! There's there's no doubt of that, but it's also an in-app purchase laden. You're uh, not wrong, but yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, the alternative. I mean, come on, like you're using old, you know, games that that you know, like uh, various studios have have you know ported from from Windows that run kind of subpar. Like if you want a game on a Mac, you're installing Boot Camp and yeah. you're doing that. Yeah, um, yeah. I I'm mean, talking that, about that, games like doing. Tomb Raider. Like that is the type of game that's no longer going to be sold on Mac if this happens because there just mm-hmm. won't be any money in it. So, um, but that said, it's a trade I think is a smart one to make. Um, and who knows? Maybe the Intel, like uh, maybe the Mac Pro, will stay on Intel. I don't know, but I think overall for the Mac lineup, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like a good deal for me. And it certainly sounds like it's very practical for Apple having gone through specifically this year. Like like I said at the top of the show, we've talked several times just this year um, about the problems that they've had with the Intel chips. Not, not even problems specifically with those chips, but just like stuff happens to Intel, therefore stuff happens to Apple. And I can totally understand how they now are thinking, okay, you know, it would make sense to just bring this all in-house. Yeah. Like, no, cut out I the middleman. So. Why bother yeah. with this? And these rumors have been around for a really long time. Um, does that make it less likely? Better. I mean, does that think, do you think that that supports rather your uh, wildcard theory about they're just hiring a new guy? No, I don't. Okay. I mean, I think that, that I think that's the theory that people who like are wanting to live in a world where Apple is not going to drop x86 because like let's be clear like that would be good for the vast majority of like regular consumers like wouldn't really notice a difference people like me mm-hmm. i would i would be bothered right like it would not be a great experience um i don't expect the mac pro for instance ever to be arm based like that's just the, the the type of silicon the types of processing and power is totally different but um i think that there are there's a there's a certain contingent of mac people out there who want to like believe that like this fusion of iOS and macOS is not happening, even though it's like very obviously happening. <laughs> and um, it, they would read this as being like, oh, well, they're just backfilling the guy that designed all the A-series chips. And it's like, okay, I mean, maybe. I mean, they certainly need a new person for that. But they're also getting somebody who has significant experience, um, you know, with chip design and, and, and GPUs and even like desktop class chips too. So like, I don't know. Like he he was at Arm and 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 you know they set the kind of the standard that all the different you know other companies license from, including Apple. So mm-hmm. he knows the specifications in and out. Like I don't know. I I'm gonna say I I think this is just more kind of a, yet another sign that 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 Arm Macs are are gonna be a thing. Yeah, right. this is definitely the strongest sign of this yet. I mean, Apple might as well put up a sign in front of <laughs> HQ2 saying <laughs> you're moving to ARM Max. But another advantage I want to talk about that's really, really critical here is we've covered Meltdown and Spectre here on the show, which, you know, it's really... I don't want to say it's because of Intel bloatware, but it is. It is that kind of vulnerability is, uh, you know, it's the outcome of 
like if you look at why this happened, you had splitting the page tables because you needed more memory, and then you throw in like ring execution, and then you throw in speculative execution, and like all these things together led to a series of hardware vulnerabilities that are incredibly serious. A advantage if Apple is in charge of ARM and producing their own chips is it's not foolproof. It's absolutely not foolproof. That's not my message, but it does give Apple more control end to end. Mm -hmm. And um, I think overall, it's like the thing Apple seems to be doing better than anyone else these days is uh, cybersecurity. Uh, There have been very few stories about uh, like vulnerabilities on the iPad. And when we have seen them, they've been patched pretty quickly. So um, for me, that's a very compelling reason to kind of take a hard look at this. All right. Any final thoughts? Christina? Cool. I mean, I, I, I for one, welcome our new um, uh, iOS, <laughs> macOS overlords. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Pingdom. Ooh. Pingdom is the company who make website performance monitoring a really easy. They're the one. Everyone loves a fast website. Let me tell you, my friends, and Pingdom are helping keep your favorite sites online. So websites like Netflix. Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, and Slack are overlords. Those are just a few companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites can get pretty complicated pretty fast, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. Stuff like user registrations. It's one of the hardest words to say in the English language as we know, but it's one of the easiest things to monitor with Pingdom. Logins, checkouts, and much more. Pingdom care about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, God forbid, you'll be the first to know. It is super easy to get started with Pingdom. All they need is your URL and they will take care of the rest. Boom, that's it. So if you are interested in monitoring, keeping your website online. Uh, you can go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the offer code ROCKET at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. That's P-I-N-G-D-O-M dot com slash RelayFM right now and code ROCKET at checkout. Thank you so much, Pingdom, for supporting this show and Relay FM. Boom da yada, boom da yada, boom da yada, boom da yada. <laughs> hi. Um, what I want to hear about from y'all is this Raspberry Pi, this new Raspberry Pi oh, model. Oh my god! You I'm guys so are excited. really excited about this, and this is one of Holy those crap. tech topics where I know the people who are passionate about it are so excited. So I want you to like channel that into me. What does this mean for okay. you? Okay. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. you take it. You take it. Okay, cuz I'm so excited about this. Okay. So the the last uh, let me tell you a story Simone. So yeah. I wanted I wanted one of my very favorite games is X-Men Children of the Atom. All of the great CP, uh, CPS2, Capcom, uh, Board 2 games like Super Street Fighter, Children of the Atom, Marvel vs. Capcom, some of the greatest games ever made. And I wanted to put those in a Raspberry Pi so I can emulate them perfectly on my TV. 
And it's still just a little too slow for this. Like I had to specially modify the old Raspberry Pi with the heat sinks and stuff. The new Raspberry Pi, the Raspberry Pi 4 that's coming out, is the first Raspberry Pi that could truly 100% replace a desktop machine for most Absolutely. people. The GPU in it can drive two 4K displays at the same time. It doesn't use micro USB anymore because it draws just that much more power. Um, in fact, if you go to order Raspberry Pi, it is seven Raspberry Pis in a rack <laughs> that are running the server for you to order a Raspberry That's Pi. so cool. So, so this is a, a very serious piece of hardware. And just for me, Christina, like, I don't know if you're into the whole arcade one-up, like, uh, oh, yeah. arcade thing. There are so many ways to hackintosh your, ra- your arcade one-up with a Raspberry Pi board. Once yep. you can do this, we're going to be able to modify arcade one-up machines to play Tekken 2, Tekken huh. 3. We're going to huh. move it to the PlayStation era of games. So this is yeah. huge news. Yeah, no, for me, just for emulation alone, like not to mention all the other things you could do for it, this was my favorite thing. So a couple of years ago, and I talked about it on the pod when the first NES Classic came out, I did a little like tutorial and like a, a guide showing people how you could use a Raspberry Pi 3 to build your own mini, you know, Nintendo or, or Super Nintendo or whatever. And it works really well. And you can play like Nintendo 64 games for the most part, there are a couple of little niggles because it, you know, there there were some limitations on the the GPU and on the the RAM and on the processor. Um, but now the new one, it's a lot faster. It can have up to four gigabytes of RAM, so you can either get one gigabyte of RAM, and that's the the model that starts at thirty five dollars, or four gigabytes of RAM, and that's still only fifty five dollars. Like Bree said, it has a four K display out. It uses USB C now rather than micro USB. It has um, eight 211 AC. It has 100, uh, you know, as a, as a gigabit Ethernet. Um, the one thing that people are going to kind of complain about is that the HDMI is now micro HDMI. Mm. So you will have to get an adapter, but they're selling the cables super cheap. They're selling them for like $5. So like that's still remarkable. Um, and then like, but like for me, I just basically use Raspberry Pis to like build emulation machines, even though I have stuff emulated on a jillion different things. But a lot of people use these, you know, for, for building things, for making things, um, mm-hmm. you know, for Internet of Things stuff. Uh, or like Bree was saying, like at this point, this is now powerful enough that if you wanted it to be like your general purpose, like server, like in your house or or just something to kind of play around with, it would be completely up to snuff for that like it it's it's more than enough i mean i think at this point your biggest blocker is probably going to be like your your um your storage right like it still uses a micro sd and so there's certain limitations in speed there that's really going to be your blocker in terms of, of of anything um and just the fact that they have like a rack of them running the website makes my heart sing. And speaking of ARM, because we were talking about ARM earlier, the Raspberry Pi is based on on ARM, um, you know, uh, on an ARM chipset. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that it's it's $55 for the four gigabyte version is so impressive. And just all the cool things I'm imagining people building, the kits, um, and uh, the just the the stuff that's going to be available for this. It's I'm so stoked. I, I've already ordered mine. I don't get it until um, uh, sometime in, in uh, like I get like the first week of August or something because I want oh, the four gigabyte version. Is that like, yeah. so, like a well, production backup or? Yes, haha, <laughs> they're 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 popular. So so, but 
now that we've said all the positive about, can we give some of the negatives of about course. it? Oh. So, uh, Christina, you touched on this. The uh, Tom's Hardware has a fantastic, they got a pre-release version of this board. They played through some really technical paces. And uh, the, micro, uh, the micro SD slot, the theoretical maximum of that throughput for that is about, uh, what is it? It's, uh, it's 50 gigs a second. No, 50 I, I I think it's fifty gigs a second. I could be wrong, but it's it's just a it's a lower level than uh, what most modern SSDs have. The way if you want to get this uh, to go fast is you want to do run your OS through the thumb drive if you can, or put any right. files on the thumb drive because that is USB three. The reason I didn't pre-order this like you did, Christina is unfortunately you can't um like when I upgraded one of my older Raspberry Pis uh from the the like lower it was the second generation to the third generation. I just pulled it out, plopped my card in there with my Raspberry uh retro right. Pi, uh ROM on it, plopped in there, it just ran perfectly. Uh that is not the case with the Raspberry Pi 4 uh, retro Pi, which is this common uh set of emulators that runs just beautifully. That doesn't run on it yet. Uh, a lot of the standard software for Raspberry right. Pi doesn't work on it yet. It no, will. exactly, because it yeah. will. But yeah, but the thing is, is that it, it's it's sixty four bit, and so and, and it's requiring sixty four bit, whereas the other stuff was thirty two, and so that's that's going to cause some stuff to have to be updated. But people will. I mean, that's the thing. Like whether like RetroArch, they already have. You know, that's already been the thing. Is is that RetroPi uses RetroArch in a lot of ways, and so they just need to get their build system in place. Not to say that that it's it's you know like a, a trivial thing because it's not. And, and those volunteers do amazing work and and um i've i've given the money before and, and i probably will again but yeah you're exactly right if you were coming like a lot of the people who use raspberry Pis aren't just makers but you have a lot of businesses and a lot of uh, educational institutions and other people who buy them by like the hundreds and use them in big deployments for various experiments or for teaching things the one thing about this is that it is such a big step up the, there, you can't, like you said, the past versions, you've been able to just swap the card into the new one and, and get going. This is going to not be something that people can just, you know, like replace without having to to do some other stuff. But I think for people who are, you know, makers now, even if you have to wait a little bit of time, like don't order it now, wait until they're they're more easily in stock if, if you're that worried about it. But it, I just really wanted to play with it, so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really excited. I mean, I was talking at the beginning of this about hacking an arcade one up for it. <laughs> a lot of people when they run uh when they like the thing is the hardware for an arcade one up is trash. It's just really, really bad. Uh there's this really vibrant community with it. And a lot of people want to put main boards in it so you can run these amazing games like X-Men Arcade or you know, some of the most amazing arcade games ever. Uh, you have to kind of tear down and put a PC in it currently for that because a Raspberry Pi is just not powerful enough for it. So I think when it comes to emulation, this is really going to be the moment where it's not SNES era, it's not you know NES, SNES, uh, CPS2 and above. I think this is going to be the moment where Dreamcast emulation becomes a yeah. lot more possible on um, here. And, and if we get Dreamcast, then then we get GameCube, frankly. Yeah. Um, ah. uh, which, and PlayStation 2. Yeah, PlayStation 2 as well. And what's exciting about this, uh, just like selfishly, is that people, you know, we're still in the era of the mini consoles, you know, the re-release mm -hmm. nostalgia ones. And, and the thing is, is that 
what's kind of at least at uh, up until now kind of held those things back. Um, Nvidia had a board uh, which was like a hundred dollars, which is a little bit faster than than the Raspberry Pi four, but not that much, especially considering you know it's twice the price. So you could conceive, but that was kind of the thing that was holding those things back is that like the component cost was higher. So it wasn't like, you know, you could spend $15, $20, you know, in bulk to get, you know, the guts of a of a NES and an SNES classic and a, and a PlayStation classic or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the sort of thing now I very much expect we, us like if Sega doesn't release a Dreamcast classic, they are so dumb. Yeah. Um, you know, and the Nintendo, if they wanted to release a Nintendo 64 classic, now there's actually hardware that that's available to do that that wouldn't be, you know, um, in bulk. I mean, it might not be this year. It would probably be next year where they could do it at an affordable price. This is also my, my immediate thought was the people who reply to all the articles about like the mini consoles saying you could do this on a Raspberry Pi are going to be so much more powerful now. <laughs> yeah, this is very true. They're being emboldened. Oh, and it's no. okay. They are. They are. They're not no, they're being emboldened. And, they and, and, just they're, also have a particular set of skills. They're not wrong, but they also miss the point of why those things exist. And also, the best response to that is, well, yeah, I could, or I could use HackShe and, and hack my, you know, SNES classic and, and, and do other things with it. Like, you know... They're, they're, give a, pro, they're pros yeah. to both sides. Yeah, go on. Can I give a quick aside before we move on? If you have not revisited Hacktree lately, Christina Warren. Oh, I have. It's so I, good. Oh, my God. It's gotten so much better. Every single quirk from it. I When I moved, I was like, one of the we have so much space here that I literally have a dedicated game room. I've got my PlayStation 4 in like the living room. That I have a, a side room of the house for uh. all my retro consoles. It's amazing. And so I was updating all of this and it's like gotten so much better. It's amazing. Well, well, well. Let's transfer on <laughs> to our third. Sorry, I didn't have anything to say to that. Christina, do you? No, I'm just so excited. Yay. Yeah, you'll have to update us once it comes in. And I put that uh, Tom's Hardware review in the show notes. So if you're interested in reading that, uh, as well as the Ars Technica one, those are both in there. If you want some more additional opinions on the Raspberry Pi, which, of course, we have not had a chance to play with yet, but will as soon as Christina gets hers in August. Goodness. Let's talk about some uh, some more game adjacent, but more actually not adjacent, but inside games, game news. That's a good way to introduce this topic. Uh, so Jason Schreier, a r- reporter at Kotaku who often drops a lot of bombshell stories, uh, his latest is a really important one on basically the situation that Treyarch, uh, who makes Call of Duties, the Call of Duty games, uh, that that company's QA team is in. And by extension, I think it applies to many QA teams in game dev. Uh, These are the people who play through games, uh, testing them for bugs, like relentlessly trying to break them. Uh, And the situation that Jason Schreier reported on at Treyarch was one in which the QA team was very much kept apart from the rest of the company, uh, parking in a different parking lot, working on a different floor, uh, not being included in company events, uh, being told to come down an hour later if the developers got food, uh, come down an hour later and maybe eat the leftovers or maybe don't don't come down at all. 
Um, and meanwhile, they're working still uh, in crunch hours, as many uh, people who work in games do, much like the developers do, uh, not seeing compensation for that in the way that a non-contract employee might you know, getting paid $13 an hour and not being eligible for bonuses, the same bonuses that other employees were eligible for. Um, so this piece basically discusses that situation and just how it fosters a culture of mistrust between QA and developers who aren't really allowed to fraternize together. And also how it's just another unhealthy work situation uh, in the tech industry, which is a story that we are seeing a lot lately. But I think it's there. All of them are important uh, because they're, you know, they're real situations that need to be addressed. Yep. Definitely. Uh, uh, so, uh, Christina, have you ever, in the course of your professional career, uh, had the opportunity to run like a, a, a UX or testing cohort and watch people that do this work? Yes. I mean, it's a I, real I haven't run it skill. myself, but I, I, I've watched other people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a real serious skill. Playtesting, running playtesting like sessions, going through doing bug testing, quality assurance is vital. And I have long been very frustrated by this, this hierarchy that exists in the tech industry where coders are seen as the only valuable skill. And, you know, technical writing is a critical part of, you know, creating a framework or an API. And it's just not valued in the same way. Uh, UX and UI are not valued in the same way. So I think this story is really about, it's almost a caste system that doesn't just apply to the game industry. It's, oh, it's no. about tech overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and in this case, you have two caste systems, right? You have the caste system, which already exists in tech and in, in gaming, as you said, where the what are often derided as soft skills, as if the as, as if you know anybody can do them, which is completely false. Things like like design or or, or UX or accessibility mm -hmm. or um, you know uh, game testing, QA, that sort of thing, uh, technical writing, like you said, um, that is is you know less valued. But then on top of that, you have people who are contractors rather than full-time employees. And that creates yet another barrier, right? So it's not just that the work is is not appreciated, even though it's crucial and it you can't do anything without it. But then to add insult to injury, these are people who, you know, have to be on a different floor and aren't allowed to talk to others and like are are paid, you know, um, a, a ridiculously different wage. Um I think that that makes that makes it that much like more frustrating. Yeah, mm -hmm. and yeah, you know, part of the story, and I'd love to know what you think about this, Simone. But the part of the story that really got me angry was uh, when they were talking about the bonuses that went out to various people at Activision for Call of Duty Black Ops Four, which I gotta admit I thought sucked. Sorry, um, <laughs> all the bonuses that went out, and there's a part of the story where the people that did absurd, abusive, soul-stealing, crushing levels of crunch didn't even get a $15 bonus. It made me so angry. Mm. You know, the, and I, I, I think that if I tried to deduct my home office on my taxes, there is a certain level of like, 
rules the IRS has to determine if my home office is really a home office and it's tax deductible. What I want to see are some rules set up for these kinds of subsidiaries because these QA testers didn't come through Treyarch. They're with a like third-party company that just happens to work at Treyarch headquarters <laughs> for the night shift and use their computers and use their system. And Walmart does this trick. Uh, parts of Google does this, do this trick. It's And I want to see strong rules there to say, if you're this involved in a company's operations day-to-day, I don't think you get to play this game where it's a separate company, I think you need to all be under the same roof because it, mm-hmm. it just leads to these kinds of abuses. I think that the part that bugged me the most uh, was it, just how unincluded they were in Treyarch's, uh, Treyarch's investigations into their own inner workings. Mm-hmm. Uh, he writes that when Treyarch sends out surveys about the, how the company's doing, they don't ask the testers when they hold all hands meeting. They don't invite the testers. Um, and on still on top of that, like the testers are working crunch hours that completely transform what kind of life you can live when you're not at work. And the fact that they would, you know, still be expected to work 12 hour days, you know, on the in crunch hours, these 24 hour 12-hour shifts. Wow, that doesn't make sense. 12-hour shifts that rotate so that all the 24 hours of the day are covered in two different shifts. The fact that those working conditions wouldn't be considered when asking employees about the company and the company's health and life at the company, that's absurd to me. You can't disinclude, even if if they don't get other privileges that full-time employees would get, full-time, they're still working 70 hour weeks even though if they don't get privileges that salaried employees get it seems ridiculous to me to not take their needs into consideration yeah and i think it's just, but but and I, I think that to to do that would have to be to consider them you know i, I think that that just kind of sums it all up it's like they don't think either they don't yeah. think about them as as being part of it or some lawyer has told them, oh, well, if you start to do that, then that shows that, you know, that they are an employee and you have to do other things, which is a complete cop out. You know, it was interesting. This story kind of reminded me in some ways, obviously, the there's there's some very big differences, uh, namely kind of what they're doing. But um, last week, right after we recorded Rocket, uh, Casey Newton at the, at the Verge had a oh. blockbuster story about the moderators mm-hmm. who work at Facebook and again, they are contractors. They work for, you know, a, a third party uh, for a vendor. They have deplorable working conditions. They are um, required to spend hours and, you know, eight hours a day without really breaks looking at the most horrible stuff you can imagine. People, a guy had a heart attack at his desk and they basically kind of, you know, shuttled him, you know, shuttled him out. He died, didn't really tell people, said, oh, he was fine. And then it wasn't until, you know, his, his father came in the next day to pick up his stuff that people realized what happened. You know, um, we we have to have, I think, a conversation when we look at the things that, that we love and that we use about these kind of shadow workforces that exist because it's it's really bothersome. And obviously these two cases are are I don't want to to draw too many parallels, but they did they, they are similar, right? And in, in the fact that you have on the one hand, you have people at Facebook who are making, you know, six figure salaries um, and not to say that they don't work very hard and and that they, you know, don't have their own stresses, but you have this shadow workforce who are doing the the grunt work and and the hard stuff who are 
you know, not being included. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing with, you know, at game studios, you have people who were working their butts off, make no mistake, and and oftentimes, you know, have their own working condition issues and whatnot. But then you have this shadow group, these testers who are so crucial to the process that are completely, you know, not even not even included when they're thinking about how can we make things better. And when, you know, really comes to crunch time, they're the ones who are, uh, are abused even more so. It's just... Um, it makes me think a lot and 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 think about my own culpability and and the culpability that all of mm-hmm. us have who work in tech about what what can we do to try to make these things better. I think yeah, that's another really important aspect of this is that obviously the the company is very responsible here, but the results of the way that they separate out QA and the the rest of the developers is that there's this huge mistrust between the two groups because they don't understand one doesn't understand how the other functions. And there were quotes from developers in this story talking about how, like, to them, QA is this, A, it's a black box, B, it's these contract employees, they don't really work here, they're the ones, like, not catching the bugs, letting the bugs slip through, who are these clowns and what are they doing? Um, And that's, I think, an attitude that can only exist if there's a group of people who is literally not allowed to, like, talk to you or bring up any problems that come up in the workplace, even fraternize at a company party. Like you you can't expect those two groups to just not interface at all and still treat each other respectfully. Yeah. Um, yeah. Simone, just piggybacking off of that, one of, uh, in, in running for office, most of what I've learned has really been inspirational. But if I were really being honest with you, one of the things I've seen that just has really made me make more sense of America is it doesn't matter what group I talk to, whether it's a teacher or a, a union worker for the MBTA or all these different professions. There is something in human nature where people need to feel superior to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a culture, it, it's weird, it makes us all kind of bring each other down because we all, all see ourselves as like a group advocating for the same thing. With every like different group of people I've I've learned more about over the last few years, there's this real sense of, well, I'm not getting ahead because this person over there is, yep. they don't work as hard as I do, so they mm-hmm. don't deserve the fair deal. Yeah, everybody sees things as a zero-sum game, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I, yeah, I feel like that. I mean, that's kind of what's at the base of people saying that game developers shouldn't unionize, right? Is this attitude that like, well, I mean, do they really need that? Like, what are we talking about here? Uh, why do they deserve that when this other group doesn't have a union and it's like well that that's that's a diversion from yeah the question that is at the center of this which is how can we find a way to improve the conditions the working conditions of these people yeah no i agree and i would say and i'm somebody who like i want to be cognizant of my position and my privilege and say that yes there are groups that that you know should be angling for unionization more than others. I think game developers um, in terms of, you know, software engineers as a group and as artists are certainly um, in a much more precarious position. They're usually in in contracts uh, that are much different than people who work at traditional companies. But oftentimes when people in tech bring up the topic of unionization, 
either A, they feel guilty, like uh, this was, you know, Kickstarter employees there when they've said they wanted to, to unionize were like, oh, well, you know, unions aren't really designed for people like us. And that's such a cop-out because on the one hand, no, unions should be for, for everyone. Um, uh, B, even if you accept that there are people who you work with who might be, you know, more underrepresented and not have a seat at the table, by having organization, you have the opportunity to bring those those issues into light and to and to do things about mm-hmm. it, right? But you can't do anything if you're not doing, you know, if, if nothing's done. And I'm certainly not saying that unionization is is the answer because it's not, right? Like there there are uh, a lot of nuances with things, but I think that when people fight organization or uh, and, and labor issues by by trying to claim that it's only aimed at one tier of worker they're they're missing the point mm-hmm. uh, about what the what it can offer and about the fact that it can also lead to people who are maybe in those positions having that opportunity like I said to to speak up and call attention to the people who aren't being accounted for yeah well said i just just one more quick story on this um and piggybacking off of what you were saying christina I have a, a really good friend of mine, and I knew her when she uh, decided to transition at uh, a major tech company a few years ago. And what I thought was so notable is when I was talking to her and she was expressing all her fears, the thing she kept coming back to, it was like, well, I'm going to be okay, though. I'm going to be okay because X, Y, Z. And it's that same thing of what you were talking about. Like some people are like, oh, well, we're in this privileged position, so we don't need this. We're going to be fine. Yeah, I came to, I, I was really struck at the time that it was her kind of assuaging her own fears in like this guise of, oh, I can't complain because people over there, they have it worse than me. Right. And, mm. you know, time went on and life moved on. And she, had some very difficult times because her workplace ended up not being as as accepting as she was hoping that it would be. And I I was talking to her after that about it and and she realized that it she needed to feel like it was going to be okay when she should have been do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. yeah. this these policies advance all of us. Like if you're trying to transition it's like, yeah, you have higher earning power as a software engineer as opposed to maybe a writer, but you're still facing the same forces. So we should all be in this together, and we should all be moving towards this for workplace fair compensation. There's, It's just so wildly unequal right now that there's more of the pie to be shared with everyone, but only if we work for this, in my opinion. Well said. And Brianna, what are you doing this week? Oh, my God. Uh, So what am I doing this week? It's the end of quarter, so we're doing a big fundraising push. Uh, We're having a huge Boston barbecue at my house on – it's July the 27th. If that's the Saturday, uh, it's July the 27th. So any Rocket listener is welcome to come to that if you're near Boston, near Dedham uh, specifically. We would love to have you. But other than that, I'm unpacking – can I just tell you guys, homeownership is, there's an emotional component to it that I didn't understand until I did it. And it's like, you're looking out on your property and there's a little bit of paint peeling off your garage and you feel so much psychological pride in that being yours to maintain. 
and you care about the road in front of your house and your neighbors in a way that I just could not have imagined. So uh, I I feel so much more strongly than I did a month ago that home ownership should be a dream for everyone that they uh. could they should be able to achieve because it is amazing. It is fantastic. I'm so jealous. I, oh. I want it. I want it. <laughs> We're going to get it for you, Simone. We're going to get there. Go. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Christina? What are you doing? So I um, have some work stuff that I'm, I'm doing. It's also the end of uh, both our, our quarter and our fiscal year. So there's always, you know, last minute stuff around that. And um, next week, um, even though uh, it's the 4th of July, uh, yay, America. Um, I have some, some work stuff that I'm doing, um, too. So I've just been busy with work and then trying to find time to, you know, watch TV and keep up on the latest internet dramas. <laughs> Same. All I want to do, I talked about this on the episode of the Polygon show that I recorded today. So apologies if you listen to both. I want to take a, a chunk of change and buy a billion Switch games and sit down and just play games on my Switch for 10 straight days yeah. and then sleep. That's all I yeah. want to do right now. That and instead, I'm amazing. working and sweating because it's the sweat season again. It's terrible. It's so oh. terrible. Yeah. So Don't talk, you gotta Christina. Play bloodstained. You got to play Bloodstained so at some I point. Hear. It is so good. It is so good. Christina, you got to play it too. Okay. I, you but like it has Symphony the worst the night, name. Right? Yeah, I did. Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. That's a great name. You're right. It is a great name. <laughs> Man, I swear there was something else I wanted to just like drop in is like a oh and by the by this, but I can't remember what it is now. Oh no. What am I doing? All right. Well, I guess on that note, you'll just have to wait till next week to find out if there's anything else that I forgot about that's happening in my life. Wow. Brianna, where can I yes. find you online? You can find me at Brianna Wu on the Twitter machine, and you can find me at developer Brianna Wu on Facebook. And Christina. You can find me at film underscore girl on the Instagrams and most importantly, the Twitters, because I'm mostly on Twitter. You can also find the videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash Microsoft developer. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and at youtube.com slash polygon, where I just had a video go up today. So that'll be nice and fresh if you go there tomorrow when this episode comes out. Woohoo! Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been a nice short episode full of, I, I think, delicious quality content. So thank you. <laughs> and if you felt the same, you should review it on Apple Podcasts. Amazing. That is how dreams are made and how stars are born and how they die. Thanks, everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated. <laughs> terminated. You can't even say it, can you? <laughs> Coward. Terminated. Terminated. <laughs>